What do you get when you mix taxes, federalism into the same case? Answer, an epic can of worms. That's what. Sam McGalley from k Gates joins us to Lost Plain, New Hampshire versus Massachusetts, a Supreme Court case for the ages. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. So glad you're here with us today. We're going to be talking about this tax case, which, in my opinion, flew way under the press radar. And even though it might affect millions of Americans and the companies that work for, nobody really gave it a lot of look in terms of the media. But before we get into it, we need to thank our sponsor for their generous support, NOTA. NOTA is powered by MT Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnota.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's notice spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's say hello to our guest, Sam McGalley from the law firm of KNL Gates. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Lawrence. Glad to be here. Well, let me ask you this. Did I oversell the intro? I know this is taxes and you know a lot of people, their, uh, their eyes glaze over when they hear taxes, but I think this is a big deal case, right? Am I right? I'm a tax lawyer. Of course, I think this case is fascinating. And the more attention state tax gets, the better, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and for, for the beatiest part, you know, I can literally at, in a given moments know what Cardi B had for dinner or what shirt Jim Costa's wearing while he's getting his COVID shot. But this case, which, you know, I was saying it's going to affect millions of people, just flew right under the radar. Nobody said a thing, you know, and it's definitely related to COVID. So we're going through this sort of shared experience and states are doing things that will have consequences. But let's get to those, Sam. You know, I want to start with the facts of this case. And of course, this is the New Hampshire versus Massachusetts case. It's about taxes, it's about federalism, obviously as we said in the intro, but, uh, you know, tell us what happened here, kind of uh, review the facts, you know, what happened between New Hampshire and Massachusetts. And then once you're kind of uh, through that a little bit, tell us why it was originally filed in the Supreme Court. So forever, Massachusetts has taxed income that it views as sort of being earned in Massachusetts based on, you know, how much time workers spend in Massachusetts versus all of their time spent working everywhere. And that approach has been kind of, broadly speaking, generally blessed by courts all over the country for decades in the state tax context. Now, because of COVID, what happened is that Massachusetts, like a lot of states, saw that all of a sudden workers who maybe pre-pandemic were commuting into Massachusetts, all of a sudden were working from other places. For example, relevant to this case, lots of workers who live in New Hampshire were all of a sudden doing their work from New Hampshire instead of commuting to their offices in Massachusetts like they might have pre-pandemic. And so what Massachusetts did was enacted this temporary emergency regulation that really effectively just maintained the status quo. Massachusetts basically said with this regulation, if you were taxable on a proportion of your income because you used to come in to Massachusetts to do your work pre-pandemic, we're going to pretend, we Massachusetts are going to pretend that you're subject to tax here in the same proportion during the pandemic, even if in reality, you're doing all that work from another place, for example, from your home in New Hampshire. And New Hampshire has argued that this is really Massachusetts infringing on New Hampshire's sovereignty as a state. You know, New Hampshire talks about this, quote, New Hampshire advantage in all of its briefing, which New Hampshire says is, you know, the legislature sort of deliberately fostering this very taxpayer favorable, low tax, high quality of life regime. And, you know, New Hampshire says that Massachusetts, the way Massachusetts is imposing its tax sort of threatens that New Hampshire advantage. And New Hampshire also argues, as I believe probably it must, that Massachusetts regulation 
violates a couple of key state tax principles under the U.S. Constitution as well. Now, in terms of why the case was originally filed in the Supreme Court, you know, the Constitution does grant the Supreme Court original jurisdiction over cases that involve disputes between states. And so New Hampshire argues that because of this threat to its sovereignty and because of the way Massachusetts as New Hampshire puts it, is undermining this, you know, New Hampshire advantage that there is, in fact, a dispute between the states and therefore original jurisdiction in the Supreme Court is appropriate. Massachusetts argues, hey, actually, there is no dispute between the states here. If a worker who used to come to Massachusetts for work is now doing that work from somewhere else and that worker feels aggrieved by the way Massachusetts is imposing its tax, Massachusetts says, hey, that worker can go through the, the through the administrative dispute process within Massachusetts and can go through the Massachusetts court to get a remedy. And therefore, there really is no dispute between the states. The only dispute may be between a worker and Massachusetts. Now, what's the current status right now? Has the Supreme Court agreed to hear this case or is it still kind of sitting in limbo? Still sitting in limbo. So the Supreme Court did request briefing from the U.S. Solicitor General on this but has not yet received that briefing. There also have been a number of amicus briefs filed. As I recall, based on kind of looking a couple of days ago, all of those amicus briefs have been in favor of the court taking the case and in favor of New Hampshire's position. To my knowledge, there hasn't yet been any amicus brief filed in favor of Massachusetts' position. All right. Now, geography seems to play a little bit into this. You know, I think for those of us that work and grew up in Western states, the idea of having this this big urban area, this big metropolitan city so close to a state border where so much so that people are routinely every day on their commute jumping over the state border to come work in your city is kind of it's not, it's not something that's commonplace in Western states. But out east where you have you know a lot of population density and a lot of different states close to each other, this seems to be more of a regular thing. But uh, with that in mind, let, I want to establish sort of the the normal rule when it comes to taxation. So let's say you've got this beautiful little country home uh, over state lines. That's where you like to live. You like the school district. You like the home, like the neighborhood and everything. But you want to go into the big city to work. And that means you got to jump the state line. You know, you got a short commute, but you still jump in state line. Traditionally, what's the norm when it comes to applying income tax in that sort of situation? Yeah, sure. You know, I live in Dallas. And so not only does Texas not have an income tax, but also there aren't any state lines really close to me. So I'm a little bit like you that these are sort of foreign concepts. But, you know, it's really hard to talk in terms of, you know, quote, a normal rule. You know, you said it at the top. Federalism sort of means that the states can do whatever they want. And, And as a practical matter, what that means is that the states have adopted really a wide variety of approaches to determining, you know, when a worker becomes subject to tax in a state based on the work that the worker is performing in that state. Now, a typical construct that we see a lot is that the state where a worker is resident might generally sort of default to taxing all of that worker's income, but then might also offer a credit against, you know, the home states, the resident state's tax, and the amount of tax that the worker has to pay to another state. Okay. Yeah. So this gets really complicated. And so I want to build that out just a little bit more. And so now Massachusetts and New Hampshire treat income tax, you know, that, that tax against, you know, your work. And obviously a lot of people out there know what the state income tax is. They know what a federal income tax is, but Massachusetts and New Hampshire treat this totally different. So can we, can we walk through that a little bit and establish the differences? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, really a couple of key differences that we can cover pretty high level. So Massachusetts imposes kind of a broad-based income tax that looks a lot like the federal income tax that we all are familiar with. And key for this 
discussion is that Massachusetts income tax applies to earned income. So here we're talking about wages, salaries. New Hampshire's income tax really applies in a much more limited way only to interest and dividends. So put another way, New Hampshire's income tax does not apply to earned income. Okay, so in this instance, if you are just solely in New Hampshire, you know, working, um, and then all of a sudden you're getting a tax from Massachusetts, this is basically a, a tax that you didn't have before, correct? Absolutely. And that's kind of the nature of New Hampshire's argument, right? You know, New Hampshire is saying Massachusetts is effectively reaching across state lines into my residents' wallets to tax them on activities that maybe in the past used to be performed within Massachusetts, but now are being performed here within New Hampshire. And that is one of the ways in which New Hampshire says Massachusetts is violating my sovereignty and the decisions that my legislature has made about this you know, what they call the New Hampshire advantage, this regime that the state has kind of fostered. I want to definitely get through these arguments that each state is making here. So I want to start with Massachusetts. So, you know, from, from its end, these are workers that used to commute in to Massachusetts from New Hampshire, right? And so now they're suddenly not getting uh, income tax like they used to. So walk us through the arguments that Massachusetts is making that it's able to tax people that are not actually going to Massachusetts to earn a living. Yeah, so in the state tax context, we see a couple of key arguments come up all the time, um, and those really arise under the Commerce Clause and the Due Process Clause of the U.S. Constitution. And one key, really important case in the state tax world is the Complete Auto case, which kind of came up with these four prongs. And under Complete Auto, the theory is that any tax that any state imposes must satisfy all of these prongs or else it will violate the Commerce Clause. And so those prongs, which New Hampshire says the Massachusetts tax fails everyone and Massachusetts says my tax satisfies everyone, um, those four prongs are, you know, one, the tax must have a substantial nexus to the activities or the person that it applies to. Two, the tax has to be fairly apportioned. Three, the tax must not discriminate against interstate commerce. Four, the tax must be fairly related to services that the taxing state, Massachusetts here, provides. And so, you know, Massachusetts says there's plenty of connection between this tax and the activities that used to occur here, not least because there are employers still here in the state. Massachusetts argues that the tax is fairly apportioned because, among other things, the Massachusetts tax offers a credit. If a worker actually has to pay tax to the home state, Massachusetts will offer a credit in the amount of that tax. Massachusetts says there's no discrimination here against interstate commerce because it's applying the tax exactly equally between residents and non-residents. And then finally, Massachusetts argues that the tax is fairly related to services that it provides. And here we're talking about things like fire and police protection and, you know, road maintenance, things like that. And Massachusetts says that, you know, it's taxing just the same proportion of income that was attributable to and taxable in Massachusetts as pre-pandemic. And it's continuing to provide those services to the employers who continue to be located in Massachusetts. All right, well, let's flip the script a little bit. So what is New Hampshire? And you got into it just a little bit, but uh, what's the primary areas of defense that New Hampshire is using here to say, hey, our, our uh, citizens are not going into Massachusetts right now to earn a living, and we want to keep more of those tax dollars here? 
Yeah. So, I mean, there is the policy argument. There is this sort of New Hampshire advantage and what New Hampshire says is a threat to its sovereignty by Massachusetts kind of undermining that New Hampshire advantage. And really what that revolves around is this idea that New Hampshire says the favorable tax regime, kind of low taxes and high quality of life that our legislature has deliberately fostered attracts people to New Hampshire and makes people who might be assigned to a work location in Massachusetts deliberately want to set up their residences in New Hampshire and live here because they like it here and they like the fact that they can do things here and not be subject to those to other states' taxes on those activities that they're doing within New Hampshire. And as New Hampshire argues it, Massachusetts has sort of undone that New Hampshire advantage. And that's in addition to, of course, New Hampshire arguing that Massachusetts violates each of those complete auto prongs that we walked through before. Well, I think policy comes into uh, place here as well. And I, I read many articles, including the one that you wrote, which I'm going to put in our show notes. And, uh, you know, we started talking about, you know, these tax credits that you mentioned before. And I think, you know, I think people are familiar with the SALT uh, tax exam out there. I know it's been kind of uh, bandied back and forth, you know, in in media, but uh, there are tax credits that states will give if you're paying, you know, a different type of tax. But there's also the notion of double taxation. So in terms of those, can, can you walk us through that just a little bit? Some of these policy considerations when you have these two tax policies that don't line up between states. Yeah. You know, this risk of double taxation really comes up in that third prong, you know, whether a tax discriminates against interstate commerce, because one of the ways that the complete auto case tests for that is by saying, you know, what would be the result if every state in the country imposed a tax on identical terms? And New Hampshire argues that if every state in the country imposed a tax the same way Massachusetts is imposing, or I guess applying its tax, that there would be a risk that these workers would be subject to double taxation. And I guess theoretically, the way that that would arise is if both the home state where the work is actually being done during the pandemic and the work state, Massachusetts in this case, both decline to give a credit in the amount of tax that that worker might be required to pay to the other state. And so in that way, New Hampshire argues that Massachusetts fails on the third prong in addition to failing on the other prongs, as New Hampshire puts it, because that that does yield a complete auto discrimination against interstate commerce. Yeah. Quick follow up. You know, and I, I don't recall seeing this in the articles, but, you know, I would think that, uh, you know, one possible defense that Massachusetts might have is like, you know, let's say during the pandemic and you know, this, this business that was in Massachusetts, you know, its workforce is now in New Hampshire, right? It folds, you know, during it goes out of business essentially during the pandemic. And now you have all these workers filing unemployment claims. Where do they file that claim? That probably uh, goes a long way towards the argument as to whose tax policy applies, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose that could be the case. You know, the other point that Massachusetts makes in response to this, you know, discrimination against interstate commerce, you know, as we kind of said before, is that the way the tax is applied applies equally to residents and non-residents. The only test under Massachusetts reg is if a worker worked in Massachusetts pre-pandemic, you know, in some proportion, then that exact same proportion remains taxable in Massachusetts during the pandemic, even if in reality that worker is performing activities in some other state because of lockdown orders. Okay, my last question for you is uh, in part a policy question, but also tapping into your tax expertise. So if you were king for a day, how would you wave your magic wand and uh, fix all this? So we have seen proposals at the federal level in Congress that would sort of establish a uniform rule across the states. And as much as I am in favor of federalism and states' rights, and as much as having, you know, really 50 different countries and 
the U.S. makes my practice really interesting, I would say that this is probably an area where some congressional intervention would be very welcome. One thing that we all know that businesses are sort of allergic to is uncertainty and unclarity. And I'm hearing from a lot of my clients that, you know, the varying tax regimes across the states make it really difficult to figure out how to comply. And so I guess if I were king for a day, I'd say one of those federal solutions that has been proposed, but that so far has not really gone anywhere, might be a nice way to address this issue, particularly given that we all know there are a number of industries that may never go back to pre-pandemic standards where everybody goes in five days a week to an assigned office location. I think a lot of industries are moving maybe permanently to kind of work from anywhere regimes. And so, you know, at a high level, what we've seen in those federal proposals are that they would generally prevent a state from imposing tax on a worker who goes into that state unless the worker either is resident there. So obviously that would not be the case in Massachusetts for these New Hampshire residents. Or if that worker goes into that state for greater than a certain threshold number of days. And I think the most typical proposals we've seen at the federal level are sort of a 30-day minimum threshold before that state's tax kicks in. Obviously, that's really easy to track. It's really easy to figure out when you comply. And it's a high enough standard that it would not mean every worker is suddenly subject to tax when they just go in for one day, which is the rule in some states. You know, I think I agree with you in part, you know, in terms of of the policy. You know, the only one thing I might add is that I really like it when the various states compete with each other in terms of their policies and their considerations for their citizens. You know, some states have more of a pro-business aspect of it. Some states are a little bit more pro-environment. But, you know, citizens can make up their own minds uh, where to live and all of that. So I like it when the states compete for our business. So, well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. I had a lot of fun talking with you. Great to talk with you, Lawrence. Thanks for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like the show, please share it on your social media because sharing is caring. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never, never, never least, thank you to our team producer, Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew for their general state of groovy. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 